0: Do you recall particularly what we were saying at the end that you would like to continue on at some particular point? Last oh, no, the topic is
1: not gravity. No, no. because at the end we talk about gravy, right? It's Always. the matter and mind.
2: It's uh, why they are interconnected.
1: Is it
2: craving? The matter and mind are interconnected. yes, <coughs> the yeah, topic of interconnectedness. Like, <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I think the place to go in this is I, I, I kind of remember where we left off was uh, there, there was some discussion about um, Nature: the uh, what was the same in all of us and what's different.
1: And eventually, we wanted to find out why we were all connected and yeah. uh,
0: we were, uh, we we're just one. Right. Well. So. I think as far as we got last night was to uh, examine the nature of materiality and uh, notice that uh, on the one hand, there wasn't a clear distinction with materiality and mentality. It's not really clear that they really are two different things. On the other hand, even even if they are uh, different things, um, there's no reason to assume that they don't uh, share the same property of universal interconnectedness. Whether they do or not is something that we have to discover for ourselves through a combination of uh, experiences of insight and, uh, and adopting a different way of viewing things than the way we normally do, based on that insight. What it really came down to was, it's this question of uh, a separate self. Is there, is there something about each of us that really is separate from everything else and everyone else? And on the one hand, there is, yes. Certainly, that's the way we experience it. Uh, We experience that we have separate bodies, but these separate bodies we see are totally interconnected with everything else. And we experience that we have separate minds. And this is really the strongest basis of our our sense of, of self and separateness is in our minds, as Michael pointed out you can see that, well, my body, yeah, my body's not really me, my body's just stuff. It's an assemblage of stuff. But what's going on inside my head really seems to be separate, and it seems to be me. There's a sense of continuity and sameness. First of all, we have to be clear that what our mind keeps tending towards is the idea of a self or a soul that is permanent and uniquely us. This is why your mind is always, this is the operating basis of your mind. So on on the one hand, this is this is the perception. This is a perception of self. I feel like, you know, I am a separate person. So let's examine that. What are you? Just think about it. If if you had to answer that question, what would you say? I said, "What? What are you? Who are you?" Well, we do get asked this many times in your life. You've been asked, "Who are you?" In one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And what kind of answers do we usually give?
1: You you a name.
0: name a name. Ah, okay. That's right. And. Right there, you know, this is it's a unique identity. I am this name. This name designates me as separate and unique. But you've been asked to go beyond that. Yes, okay, your name is and Okay, yeah. so, so, so-and-so, or Jackie, or whatever your name is. So, so, Jackie. So, Pinky. Who are you? Who are you? What are you? And what do you answer? Well, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I do this for a living. I do that. If you had to keep answering that question over and over again, you'd keep you'd keep digging into your mind and trying to explain who you were to this other person, right? Um, I'm 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 this old. I uh, this. Uh, I like these things. I don't like that things. I'm a, democrat or republican or an independent or a communist or whatever Um, I'm a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist or a Hindu or you know we keep coming up with a lot of well we come up with a lot of labels but each one of those labels is it's kind of a, a conceptual attribute so there is this a conceptual construct, and if you look at that, in one sense that is who you are, right? You All all of those things taken together are part of who you are. Uh, I have such and such a degree in such and such a topic. I do this kind of work. I've been married this many times, I have this many children. These are all part of who you are. What there is, is a body and mind that has been uh, continuously present, as far as you can tell, from the time you were born up to the present moment. And it's experienced certain things, and it's done certain things, and it's formed certain identifications. But when we look closely, a little more closely, yes, we, it is true that we are those things. But is that what we're? It, or is it those things that we are meaning when we have the sense that I, I am this unique person? And we we look at those things and say, well. None of them was always there. Those things come and go. And, you know, there, there was a time before we studied such and such and got such and such a degree. You know, and, and maybe we used to do this kind of work, but we don't do it anymore. Those things all change, yet we feel like we are somebody that's the same person, regardless. Uh, and then we, we go a little deeper and we say, well, those are all superficial kinds of things. Okay. But this is the kind of person that I am. I, I behave in this way. And I treat people in that way. And these are the kinds of feelings that uh, I have. And, and uh, these are the things, we, you know, we, if you look at somebody else, uh, as we get to know them better, initially they are, you know, a man or a woman who has done this or hasn't done that and does this for a living, and we have an interaction with them based on this. As you get to know them longer, you identify that other person more in terms of, yes, they're this kind of a person or that kind of a person, this is their personality, this is what I like about this person, or this, this is what I don't like about this person, but we identify. These personality characteristics. Have you always had the same personality characteristics? There's at least some of them that have probably changed. There's probably some of them that you would like to change that haven't. So, when you look closely at it, these personality characteristics that we also tend to regard as who we are. They too are don't really define who we are they're things that come and go actually all of these things that I've talked about would come under the single category of the five aggregates as mental formations personality characteristics and uh, and all of those things that arise out of our past history and our social identification and things like that in terms of, me as an individual, well, those are the mental formations that I have stored up, and I was answering the questions by pulling out, well, you know, I, I went to school here, and I lived here for a while, and I used to be married to this person before I got tired of them. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all that kind of stuff, but that's that's just coming out of the mental formations that you carry around with you, and so. You, we, we really are persons, but we're persons made up of impermanent things, none of which is really what we are. Okay, so maybe we're all of them. So that means if you lost one of them, you wouldn't be you anymore, you'd be somebody else, right? Obviously not. I mean, that's a silly idea. Well, of course not. Well, maybe if you lost 20 of them, you wouldn't be you anymore. Well, at, at some point, if you changed enough of them, you would probably agree yeah, I wouldn't be me anymore. But where's the line? You're not defined by any of them in, in particular, or all of them in general. And even if they were all being changed, you'd probably still feel like it was you if there was that same continuity. I mean, you were once uh, an infant. Uh, None of the things that we've talked about were a part of you at that time. Uh, Not to mention not a single (coughs) atom or molecule of your body is probably the same as it is now. And they were certainly organized in a completely different way and looked completely different. So uh, we don't even have to imagine that if you change twenty or thirty or forty of these different things, would you still be the same? You still have the sense that you're the same person you were when you were ten years old, or three years old, you know, or, or whatever, right? It is really your what you're looking at and saying, okay, well, it's the continuity. It's the, there's a causal continuity. All of those things changed, but none of them all changed at once. right? So, you are like Paul Bunyan's axe. Back home where I live, I have Paul Bunyan's original axe. The handle's been changed probably a hundred times, and the head of the axe has probably been changed fifty times. But it's the original axe. <laughs> Say that again. I said, I, I have Paul Bunyan's axe at home. Right. The handle's been replaced at least a hundred times. Right. And the heads have been replaced at least fifty times. But it's the original axe. It's the same one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> your
0: one. Well, we, we look at that and say, well, that's silly. If you've changed, it only has two parts, and you've changed both of them that many times, it can't be the same. But, when you claim that your, your, your self-nature is, uh, is your continuity, then that's basically what you're saying, is I'm the same person I was in, when I was 10 years old, in the same sense that that's Paul Bunyan's axe, right? So, what are we really talking about here, then? Well... All of these things are real. The continuity is a reality. You have changed in every conceivable way, many, many times. I said earlier today, you know, that if uh, my younger self would come to one of my retreats, I probably would send him <laughs> home. And that's an example of how uh, how much we've all changed. If you could meet yourself from another stage in your life, uh, you might not even get along (laughs) yes
1: I'm thinking that that nowadays we have have, uh, an organ transplant transplant. so if my mind or my brain is replaced by a monkey's mind or brain what could happen if
0: if you put a monkey's brain into your body uh, would it still be you (laughs) well we wouldn't even think for a moment it would be but what if we put your brain into a monkey's body? You might still think that was you.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, that's the uh, people that write stories, write stories about things like that. And, and the essence of it is yeah, I mean, the story wouldn't be any good if everybody read it and didn't think that, yeah, they're, they're still the same person after the brain's been transplanted. That's because you get to take all your mental formations along.
1: And there's a stories report that uh, the brain transparent and some behavior of that person also changed. Ah, uh, yes. I have heard
0: that. Yeah. yeah, I have absolutely no idea what to make of it. What do you mean? That brain
2: transparent, nobody can change?
1: Recently, you know, last, there's a conference in New Zealand um, it's called the uh, World Buddhist Conference of, of something like which conference? there's a conference in New Zealand mm-hmm. happiness you mean I, think. I don't know um, but one uh, well, of our professors is um, joining that conference and I cannot remember the story um, uh, in detail <coughs> but uh, basically it's, it's about um, the transparent of the organ,
0: or, or the brain operations and that Oh, uh, I, I didn't really hear what you said. I didn't know about that. I thought you were talking about the fact that there are stories of people who have had a heart transplant, yeah. who then have uh, changes in their behavior corresponding to you know, uh, well, supposedly, hypothetically, that uh, well, it's a characteristic that was more like the person that got the heart transplant. So so maybe, maybe
1: it's kind explain that even our
0: mind is—it's not uh, unique. Mm-hmm. Well, and definitely, your mind is not as unique as you think it is, <laughs> as we assume it is. You know, it's that. Uh, um, but anyway, the, the point here is that when you examine carefully, you find. The more closely you examine, you find that there really isn't anything that you can point to uh, as as being any kind of permanent self, and and actually the closest that you're going to come is that continuity. You know, your the uh, the most substantial selfhood that you can lay claim to is the Paul Bunyan Zach's kind of. Uh, that, you know that you have undergone all these different changes, but they didn't all happen at once and so there's always been some overlap. So, um, but nevertheless, our mind constantly generates an idea of self. and we discovered that, Well, certain things make it really obvious. (coughs) Um, What they find, the things that, you know, psychologists, the things that people uh, react most strongly to emotionally has to do with uh, their beliefs, things like political and religious beliefs, and uh, also uh, their, their perception in other people's eyes. So, a person's constructed sense of self can become evident when uh, something like that is, is triggered. Somebody says something, you know, if, if you think of yourself as a, uh, as a kind person and somebody talks about you in another way, how do you feel? There is a definite feeling of, of, of injury there that's related to this. It's just an idea of who you are. Well, I think I'm pretty smart, and you say that I'm dumb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, your perception of me and my perception of me, but your perception of me is sufficiently important. Well, actually, it's other people's in general. Each of us, we. We have an idea uh, uh, of who we are and we also have an idea of the way we want other people to perceive us. And we become very upset when something happens that threatens the way that other people perceive us. You know, somebody calls you a thief or a liar. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's terrible, right? Um, I mean, if, even if you are a liar, you know, you do your best not to have anybody know it. And if somebody finds out and tells everybody else, it really makes you upset. <laughs> 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 but that may be slightly different. But you know what I mean. We, this, the constructed idea, even though we can look at the constructed idea of self and recognize its uh, insubstantiality. We still act as though uh, it were a real thing. That's a real stuff. We react to things that happen to us as if it was. And this idea of who we are, even though when it arises, it's clear and we accept it and we buy into it. If another person observes us, or if we observe ourselves, we find that even that comes in many different versions. Are you? Are you the same person in terms of personality and characteristics with your mother as you are with your girlfriend? Not at all. Or with your boss, or your teacher, or your children. We basically have many different personalities that we put on and shed in different circumstances, right? Like changing clothes. And the interesting thing is. Not only do we have a personality that we will defend if it's attacked or that we uh, feel injured if it's uh, offended and so forth, but the characteristics that we're sensitive to are also different from one situation to another. Your mother can call you a lot of things that you'd never let your girlfriend say. (laughs) So even, even the constructed self doesn't have a substantiality to it. So the truth of this is that, yes, we do have an idea of who we are, manufactured by our minds. And and why does our mind create this? Well, it serves a purpose. It's useful. It's valuable. Um, We put on a particular persona in a particular situation, and then we can behave automatically and do all the right things. Uh, and then we go into a different persona, or a different situation, we put on a different persona, and we act out of that persona, and everything goes smoothly. But it does really get awkward when you're in a situation where you've got two different personas, right? you have all had that. Like when your two secret wives meet each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but you know what I mean. Yeah, we, we all have those situations where we find ourselves with, we're usually one way in one kind of situation of one group of people and another way with another. And every now and then we find ourselves in a little bit awkward situation and we're not sure exactly how to act, or at least it takes a lot of mindful awareness to pull it off and a certain amount of discomfort. So, yeah, it serves a purpose. It's useful. <laughs> we create an idea of who we are, and then we act out of that. But we have different personalities within us, and they're not always consistent with each other. And sometimes they disagree with each other. And sometimes we decide that we want to be this way, and uh, so we start acting like we're this way, and it works out really well, and then something will happen It will trigger some old way of being, and we won't be that way anymore. Or we'll come to a situation where there's just an out-and-out out conflict between two different uh, selves. So, but by and large, if we examine why does the mind do this, it's for convenience, it's for ease of functioning. And so we know how to behave and how to appear and how to speak and how to act, in different circumstances, and we can change that over time. And to a certain degree, in some ways, you know, everybody does that. Um, and, and, and that's great. We see that being in a person in a particular way creates problems in our lives, and uh, it gets in our way. And so we can decide to change that, and we can work on it. And, Become different. So this demonstrates that if you have a well-designed idea of self, it can make your life go easily and better, and it's something that you can change. Yes? I
3: did an experiment uh, today. i uh, just like to like see, uh, I maybe, maybe get a little bit more feedback, and it's quite interesting because I'm playing uh, two selves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they work out very very well. They have interaction with each other. And uh, this idea was inspired by uh, a lucid dream that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my lucid dream, I was practicing meta. So I shrink, you know, these people who are very very mean, yeah. into, into little babies. And then I and I take care of them. You know, nurse them back to health, and they become you know mentally healthy. <laughs> and then they, Good for you. And, yeah. then, and then they shrink them, and I and then they grow up, and, uh, you know, and then they, they, they're all healthy. And then I, and, and I just kept going to different people who are who are very very miserable in life. I kept doing that, and then and then they all came out very very well. And then and then you know so today I try to practice meta meditation with myself. So I picture myself shrinking myself. You know like there's two two Michaels. I shrink this Michael, shrink it into a little baby. You know completely completely uh care you know uh, not not. Fighting, gun, angry. I should get into a little baby and I take good, good care of him.
2: And, and then and he
3: and you, you, you came out and, and, and I feel real, real good. I was like, wow, I feel like a new happy, happy person.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so so it's interesting. The cell can be like three or four five different people and they yeah. can interact with each other. And they work out very, very
0: well. <laughs> That's you. It, it's it's really true. I, I have a I have one meditation student who uh, has what's called multiple personality
2: disorder. <laughs> that's me. You no, know,
0: that's not you. <laughs> but you know, she has these different personalities, and and they take a they take. Care of the whole self in different ways, and you know, I mean, it's an unfortunate thing. It's not been easy for her. She had, had a lot of sexual abuse as a child, which is often the cause of uh, the, the fracturing of a personality like that. But she's she's learning studying the Dharma and meditating, and she has these, you know, uh, well, very often she asks, she'll, she'll ask questions or she talks, and it's some of us and we. And you know things like that or there's one of us wants to ask a question, but is too shy you know, and so I have to sort of go through the personality that's talking to me to get the other one to talk and like. it's really interesting, but different parts of the personality take care of different things there's 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 one part of her personality that's you know like, uh, really, really tough, you know, a hard bargainer, a hard negotiator. It's like, you know, when time for a rent increase comes up, that's the personality that goes and talks to the landlord. One of her personalities has, like, concentrated uh, uh, a lot of the, uh, sort of, anger, uh, that personality characteristic. And that personality gets extremely defensive sometimes in my Dharma talks, when I talk about, you know, you can overcome anger. You can eliminate anger entirely, and then that, that personality gets upset because you know it feels threatened. You're going to destroy me. <laughs> like, you know what's wrong with being the way I am, sort of thing. So, uh, although the the collective can see the the problems that anger can t- that creates, but yeah, it is it is a fact that our mind has a mechanism. You know, who knows, maybe someday they'll find it's a particular part of their brain that does it. But the mind has a mechanism that generates personality structure or the, the idea of the personal self. And it, it's constantly doing it and it has stored on the shelf a whole lot of different versions that it can call off at different times. And that's just, that's the way we are. We don't think of ourselves that way, though. You don't think of that way. As a matter of fact, I mean, this is all the mind. What is it? Where where do we find the difference? Where do we find the selfhood that was hard to let go of that's in the mind? Now, I can see that I'm not really my body. Yeah, sure. You know, I could transplant my brain into a chimpanzee and I'd still be me. I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still be me. You can see that you're not your body. But you feel like you're mine. And... Haven't you always felt like your mind was one thing? I have my mind. And it's yours. Isn't that most most of your life? Is that not how you felt?
1: Yeah, it's so always have a sense of self. Inside the body. Even meditation, do you still meditation? Yes. Do I, I am dreaming.
0: Yeah. Well, I think of particularly a sense of unity about your mind. You talk about my mind. I I made up my mind to do this or you, know, you think you have one mind. You don't. Yeah, yeah I, like, when I meditate this afternoon and mm-hmm. I, um, what I is like when I do
2: you told me to like uh, for mm-hmm. me it's easier for me to um uh, to focus on this abdomen. Yeah. So, um, so when I do, I focus on the, up, the movement of my abdomen, and to the point that I feel like um, I just want to let go of this, uh, um, of this, um, um, like, focusing, and just kind of, because at that point I feel like really stiffness, and I just want to be in that state and just. Just feel the stillness, mm-hmm. and then I start kind of feel like I uh, have the thought of like pulling myself out, and mm-hmm. then I just feel I just have this thought like um, it's different from what I observe my breathing. With. Mm-hmm. It's because like I feel like. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like um, I pull myself out and I s- see my breathing, and I was wondering, so who's doing this breathing? Yes. And, then, and then it just comes out, the answer is my mindset, is the mind telling this body to doing the breathing. Yes. And then I do examine more, and am just sitting in that for a while, and then and I pulled myself out again and mm-hmm. I said, So who's telling this much doing yeah. this telling this mind to do this breathing? Yes. Yeah. And then I said, So this I am telling. And then I said, So who am I? If I'm not this breathing and not this mind And who am I? So I I, I I don't know. So when you mention it and I just kind of I want to ask you then this yeah. And sometimes I feel like this mind can so can do so many things at a time. It's like it's so it's so much expansion. Yes. And, and so it's just this is when
0: yeah. I have this okay. Several very important things here in what you said. Um, one is that experience of who who is doing what. And, you know, uh, the sense of the part of your mind that's high can actually shift from time to time. Right. And that, that's one part of it. And then the other thing... Uh, that's bad. What was the last thing you were talking about there? The, uh, the very last few things you said. But, but who's telling this to do all yeah, and these things? And then, who
2: am I? So if all this mind is...
0: I'm observing my mind. First, I'm observing my mind. Oh, oh, the other thing is that you can that you can do many things, that your mind can do many things mm-hmm. at once. Yeah. Okay, these are the... Yes, those are the two points that I think are really important in what, uh, and what you're saying here. Uh, yes, first, the sense of uh, who I am and what I want. See, we, we find our mind divided against I, I I want to... Concentrate on a meditation object, but there's another part of my mind that keeps going to something else. And in that case, we say, I. I belongs to, we put the label I. It's like we have a little hat inside. We put the I hat on the part of the mind that thinks meditation is a really good idea and, and wants to do this. And the the part of the same mind, or the the other mind in the same head, that doesn't really want to do this right now, and wants to think about something else, we we designate it as, it's not I. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it changes, you know? I want to meditate, and then something else comes along that, well, I don't want to meditate anymore, but I feel like I should. So some part of my mind is, Making me do this even though I don't really want to is, is that not what happens so so sort of the which part of our mind we identify I with is pretty slippery too it's here for a while, but I can go over there and it can be there for a while, and sometimes we have you know we're arguing with ourselves we're in conflict with ourselves so so even you know not regarding personas and personalities and things like that, even moment to moment, the specific mental processes that come up, can we can identify with one as I and reject another one as something our mind's doing. You know, now, I want to do this, but my mind is not cooperating. Really interesting, isn't it? And that can change, and a little bit later it's a completely different part uh, of... of Your mental a different mental process that's the I. So more and more we find that uh, it's it's really hard to to find anything corresponding to this I. Yet we know, you know, if I said you don't exist, you say yes, I do. I know I exist. It's obvious. It's completely obvious. So we've got to reconcile this. I exist, but must be in a completely different way than the assumption I've been making. Just like I have a mind is an assumption, in fact, I have many mental processes, and mind is just a label that I put on the whole collection. You know, Mind is kind of like Los Angeles. There's a whole lot of different things going on there. And some of them are directly uh, contradictory to each other. What you call mind is a collection of mental processes. Each one has its job. There's simple, very, very simple mental processes which are sort of overseen and directed by a higher level of mental process. You know, the the lowest level do the actual uh, sort of moment to moment day-to-day functions of the mind work, And there's higher-level mental functions that turn the lower-level ones on and off and call them into being and so forth. And so there is sort of this hierarchical arrangement. But it's not the case that you get up to the top of the hierarchy and then there's the real I that's in charge, which is kind of the way we we always assumed it was. But really we don't. It's more like we've got a whole board of directors and they argue with each other and they have different points of view. And sometimes one wins and sometimes the other wins. And, you know, the that collective of higher level mental processes that is directing your life is it's not always in harmony, and it doesn't always play fair. Sometimes one part wants things to go one way, and it can sneakily keep a thought, an important thought, from becoming part of the decision-making process. And so the, the collective of mental processes will choose a particular direction for your action to take, and then come a point where it's just, you know, you're very unhappy with the result, and you realize, well, why didn't I think of that? Well, some one of your mental processes really wanted you to go ahead and, you know, I don't know, eat all the cheesecake, and so it kept the thought from arising that you're going to have terrible indigestion afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) If I thought of that, then I wouldn't know. <laughs> so, a silly example. But well, this is going on all the time. It's going on when you buy cars and decide who to get married to, and decide whether to to quit your job or accept a promotion, or you know, your whole life is being affected by different mental processes. Each one has its own job. <clears throat> Each one is intended to take care of you and. Uh, Meet your needs and prevent harm coming to you in one way or another. But they sometimes uh, they they sometimes are not in accord with each other, and they're going different directions.
3: I was just thinking. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking, uh, like somebody uh, decided to marry somebody, and they're walking up the altar, and then yeah. and then one person decided uh, not to carry on with it. anymore, yeah. and The other person shouldn't be. T- shouldn't take it too too personally because maybe five out of the six mice, you know, do want it. But six out of well, actually what is it? Uh, the the it just it's just like s <laughs> majority rule that 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 shit but <laughs> 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 you know, the members still want us to uh, marry the other
2: person. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Halfway to the altar you said sorry dear, it was si- seventeen to fifteen in favor of <laughs>
3: switch both?
1: Because of the
0: Well, the good side of this is, yeah, multitasking. We can do a whole lot of things around Well, we,
1: always the Control
0: event. We make the right decision at the moment. Mm-hmm. We think we are. We think we are, yeah. Whereas <coughs> we, we imagine that there is an I that's in charge <laughs> instead of a bunch of competing mental processes operating with different agendas and with different information. So, but the other thing, the multitasking you talked about. You're amazed that this mind can do so many different things. And it can do quite a few of them at the same time, which is especially amazing. You know, you can have a conversation with somebody while you drive a car across the city. And that, I think, is amazing. There is, There is a mind that is seeing what's happening around you in traffic and making all the right adjustments to the gas and the brake and the steering and, and, and something that is pretty complicated driving in traffic is pretty complicated but at the same time you can be so engaged in thinking about a personal problem or planning something or talking to a passenger that when you your attention comes back to the driving, you're not even sure where you are. You've got to look for the next street sign just to see, right? Which exit am I coming up on? <laughs> did I already pass where I was supposed to go? Because you weren't there. But you can't say, you know, you were not consciously aware of all these things, but somehow you did the right things. You. you you speed it up, you slowed down, you change lanes, you avoided all kinds of problems. How did that happen? Well, there was a mind that did that, and there's many different minds working all the time. We kind of think, well, okay, uh, the I is associated with uh, you know uh, the conscious part and the thinking part. I do the thinking, but I'll just challenge you that it's not really you that does the thinking either. Um, Because um, have you ever suddenly had the solution to a problem pop into your mind? This is not an uncommon experience. There's some very famous examples of it. Some of the great discoveries, scientific discoveries in history, were made by uh it came about in that way, that somebody, you know, that uh, cake Lee and uh, discovering the structure of the benzene ring, he'd thought about it and drawn hundreds of diagrams and thought he had, fig- you know, tried to figure out how on earth this molecule could look. And he was resting after dinner, and all of a sudden the idea came to his mind, and that was it. His mind, so the thinking that solved that problem. And there's quite a few examples of that that you can find in literature. But also, we've all had examples like that, that there's thinking going on beneath the surface of our conscious awareness all the time. And as a matter of fact, it solves a lot of our problems. Uh, It also establishes a lot of our position. I mean, have you ever got into a conversation with somebody and something came up that you hadn't actually made your mind up about, and then you hear the words coming out of your mouth, and it's like, oh, well, I guess that's my position on it. <laughs> 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 that ever happen to you? <laughs> yeah. And, and it is, but th- the point is, thinking takes place that you're not necessarily aware of. And kind of thinking like that happens all of the time. Uh, you remember to do things, and the, uh, the recollection no matter how busy you are with other things, the recollection comes up at the right time for you to do the things that are needed to be done. So there's some part of your mind that even uh, when you're not consciously aware of it's functioning, is doing all, all of this stuff. You have many minds carrying out many different functions, and some of them you're aware of, some of them you're not, and they can do these things simultaneously, too. You know, so... You find you can multitask, but there is no. this, This is all very wonderful. It's fantastic, but look as you might, you can't find something that you can grasp onto and clearly, definitely say, "This is self. This is I. This is me." Yet we have we have this feeling. We really have two kinds of uh, sense of self. One is the constructed sense of self, this idea of who we are that I talked about earlier. And that's constantly being created, generated, and changed. And we could even call the, you know, when we say, well, I want to meditate, but my mind's not cooperating, we could say that, the the eye hat that we put on the part of the mind that wants to meditate—we could call that a constructed self too, you know—or we say, I, "I feel like I should meditate, but I don't really want to." Well, we change the hat and put it on the other one. That's a constructed self, and it's an always changing thing, but it's clearly a constructed self. The other thing that we call self is what's called the inherent sense of self. This is the one that you... It's the sense that I'm separate. It's what Michael was talking about last night. Analyze all of this. Think about it. Come to understand it as clearly as you can. And that's a very good thing to do. But even after you've done that, you still are going to have the feeling like I am a self, and the essence of that is that you're separate. You are separate, and as we said last night, there—that's important to to survive. What I like to do is say, well, you, you have to have a, you can't get your if your mind stops creating this sense of self, of separateness, you'd be in trouble. You couldn't function in the world. And I always like to say if you didn't have a sense of self, you'd never be able to keep your laundry separate from somebody else's. (laughs) You have to have a sense of I, me, and mine to function in the world. And your mind's generating that. But the point is that you don't have to believe in it. You can recognize it for what it is. It is a convenient, useful, Mental fiction, uh, and the bells rung already. Ah, so 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 many more things we could talk about. We didn't really, didn't really quite get to the point that you were raising last time. Yeah.
1: Can I have a final question? Yeah. Uh, in Buddhism, we always said different people well, have different uh, capacity. So they really, uh, are suitable, uh, suitable for different uh, practice. Mm-hmm. So to your experience, do you find um, such kind of personality or people which is uh, more suitable to do meditation or some kind of personality is not suitable for...
0: Some personality is more suitable for meditation than others? Yeah. Uh, there are some people... Well, in terms of their capacity for meditation, I think everybody can learn to meditate. I can't can't think of anybody I've ever met. I haven't spent a lot of time with brain injured people or severely uh, 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 people with severe uh, mental problems, and so there's a good chance that they wouldn't be able to. But
2: how about attention deficit?
0: People with attention deficit uh, actually they can learn to meditate too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, they're doing that in a number of places now. They're teaching, they're using meditation uh, to help people with attention deficit disorder manage their uh, ADD. So as far as uh, pretty much, if somebody can function in the world, they can learn to meditate. But that doesn't mean that they have the motivation. There's a lot of people. You know, I have absolutely no interest in inclination. So in that regard, they're lacking the capacity.
3: It's oh, because of will, not because of... In, in this case, in yes,
0: it, Yeah, it's because of the motivation. It's like, why would I... They, they don't see uh, a benefit in it that is worth the time and the effort and whatever it is that they wouldn't be doing in in, in place like that so but i, I don't think that there I, I i don't think that there are very many people capable of functioning in the world that couldn't learn to meditate if they if they had the desire to so that's kind of good for a final question. I would like to see if I can maybe sum up where we are and create a reminder in my own mind for where we should go tomorrow uh, to finish developing this. Um, <clears throat> Basically, this is the picture that I want you to have, that your mind creates the self and the self is both a conceptual self and it's a feeling that these this concept of self and this feeling of self exist because they are functionally useful the they are a serious problem because we believe in the reality of the constructed self, the conceptual self, and that gets in our way. And because the inherent sense of self stands in the way... uh, it's, It's a problem in that it stands in the way of our attaining uh, full understanding of the true nature of reality, which is that we are not separate, either mentally or physically. So that's the sense in which these two are a problem. And in the path to full enlightenment that the Buddha described, the first stage is overcoming the attachment and the belief in the constructed, conceptual self. You don't destroy it. The mind still makes it. But because you don't believe in it anymore, you are liberated, and it has a profound effect on uh, the amount of suffering in your life and the desire and aversion. And, and it produces a transformation in the individual. So. You should aim towards that. The definition of the stream enter, the first stage of enlightenment, is a being who uh, has overcome the attachment to the conceptual, constructed self as being real, as that is me, I am that, this is mine. And you do that through the development of insight, intellectual understanding. I think. Everybody in the room kind of followed, followed pretty well the analytical discussion of the nature of self that I did tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to... That right now, that's ideas. That's concepts. That's, that's an intellectual understanding. Now you need to carry it to the level of direct insight, that you see that indeed this is true. And you see it over and over again in many different ways until eventually you reach the point where there is the absolute conviction that yes, this is just a convenient fiction and I do not need to be ruled by it. What is the test to
3: verify uh, uh, if this is no longer a mere uh, concept in the mind?
0: What's that? Uh,
3: What is the test to, to see that this is no longer a mere
0: concept? Well, the, the test is that you have the sustained experience of, of knowing that this is a fiction. And you have the experience of finding that, that uh, when you begin to suffer and you notice that you're suffering, and you realize that that suffering is coming from attachment to the view of self, it's like, oh! And then you let go of it and it's gone. Doesn't seem too hard. It's not. <laughs> it, 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 it's not. If you get to the point where, you know, it, as, as long as you're, it, you tell yourself, well, I don't really have to feel this way because, you know, uh, and your mind doesn't believe you and still makes you feel bad anyway, then you're not there. but when whenever you realize that you know,, hey, I don't have to feel this way, and you stop feeling that way, yeah there, you're there. there. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the test, and it happens over and over again like that. you know, and if you find yourself doing things out of selfish motives, and they're having a bad effect on somebody else, and you realize that, and you have the same thing. It's like, oh, I'm have to be doing this. And you let go of it, and the only thing you feel like doing is making things right with whoever you impacted. Then, yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. But anyway, this what you do. You look for this. What you see in meditation, and in any... Meditation is a highly focused opportunity to see things very clearly, but you can see it any time. But you notice, amongst other things, that indeed, the self is an idea. And as we said, your life consists of a series of experiences. And your consciousness has two kinds of objects, you sensations or mental objects. Self is an idea. It's just one of those mental objects. And just as a sensation of red isn't always present, Neither is the sensation or neither is the sense of self. Either the idea of self as this is who I am, or even the feeling of self that I am a self, they're not always there. So notice that. Because when you notice that they're not always there, it tells you that yes, it's not if if you really were this self, then it would always be there. But the fact that it's not always there tells you that one is a conceptual construct, and sometimes your mind takes that conceptual construct as its object, and the other is a feeling, and sometimes your mind takes a feeling as the object. And you can also notice that when the mind takes either the construct or the feeling as object it is the result of specific causes. Not that you'll always know the causes, but if you start looking, you'll see that very often you know the cause. And, you, and so that you see that self is an idea in the mind, and a feeling in the mind, that arises under certain, in response to certain causes and conditions, and is not present at other times. So that's, that's one understanding. Uh, one one kind of insight that's very important. The other is there are many experiences that you have that will verify the things that we talked about. It's a question of being aware of them. I told you a lot of things and when I said certain things you recognized the truth of that, right? Is that the experience you had? Because I pointed out different things and as soon as I pointed it out it's like well, yeah, I can do that. Well, that's right. You're exposed over and over again, constantly, to experiences, direct experiences, that are showing you the truth. But most of the time, you're not noticing them. So start noticing them. The more you notice them, the deeper your understanding will be. And so both in meditation and in the rest of your life, there's no end of experiences if you start noticing them that will say not self not self not self there's no self the self this self is an illusion this self is a fabrication this self is an emotional reaction keep doing that until after a while it just sinks down and there's no no question anymore about you know you
2: know Hard.
0: Yeah. Pretty hard. Pretty hard. the hard part is remembering to notice. See that? That's where the meditation comes in. Isn't that right? It's a really hard thing. You know what I told you? The only hard part is you'll leave the retreat and you'll go out in the world and you'll forget to do it. It's not hard to notice. It's just hard to remember to notice. That's why we say mindfulness. You have to learn to be mindful. You have to practice mindfulness. And you practice mindfulness so that you can have mindfulness. Like you practice anything else so that you have that skill. So, Okay, so I think that's good enough for tonight. I'm not sure exactly where it will pick up tomorrow, but I'm sure it will become obvious at the time. It always does. <laughs> it always does, That's yes, right. It always does. So. Thank you very much for uh, another enjoyable evening of discussion. I hope this is useful to you. Um, so once again, I'll give you about 10 minutes to stretch and go to the washroom, and then we'll sit until that time. Oh, one last question? OK, one last question, yes. Yeah. We talk about we don't have
1: individual I, um, right? Mm-hmm. So not only
2: have I but why everybody is one? So ah, that's
0: that's where we've got to get to. Yeah. <laughs> when you lose yourself, what do you have? That's what we've got to talk about. Okay. When you finally give up on attachment to the self, have you lost the only thing that you ever had? And the answer is no. You've gained. You've gained the world. You've lost yourself, but you have gained the world.
2: The, the world, not a the word. The world.
0: It is a kind of emptiness, too, right? Yep. So, where is the one? No, we'll, we'll talk about
2: that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you.